Good afternoon. My name is Ben, for those of you who I may not have met yet. Um, about 10 years ago, I got to partner with a friend of mine who's an artist to build a really large art sculpture. Um, it was for Sculptures by the Sea in Denmark, and it was the sculpture itself was a really large house. The house looked completely normal from the outside. Um, the inside, it had everything a normal house would have, front door, back door, kitchen, lounge, main bedroom, laundry. The only thing with this house is that for 24-7, for a month straight, it rained on the inside, just poured down with rain. So we designed it so that it would just recycle water and everything inside this house over one month would slowly decay, deteriorate, rot, fall apart. It was called I Wish You Hadn't Asked. And the idea behind it was that everything may look absolutely fine on the outside. Someone's life may look normal. But on the inside, things can be happening in relationships, um, in your heart. Things can be falling apart. No one sees. This is similar to King David's situation. King David lived about 3,000 years ago, I think. Um, he was an amazing king. He was everything Israel would have hoped for for a king. He was a worshipper, he was a warrior, he was a poet, he was a prophet. He didn't put a foot wrong up to this one spring afternoon and everyone had gone to battle, the palace was empty and he just went walking along and from his balcony he looked down and sees a beautiful woman bathing. And he saw, he desired, he took and he had an affair with Bathsheba. Um, he sent his servants to her, asked who she was. She was the wife of one of his soldiers, Uriah. He slept with her. She fell pregnant. He then tried to cover it up. Doesn't look good for the great king that this happened, especially when his soldier was off fighting in battle. So he tried to cover it up and ended up organizing the murder of her husband. Everything he thought of maybe, everything had sort of been covered up from his point of view. He, um, he thought he'd gotten away with it. The, the husband died a glorious death in battle. He had a funeral with honours. David married the wife. Um, no one knew except God. And we, we have basically the prophet Nathan comes and confronts David and says, David, You've despised the word of the Lord. You've sinned against me. And David writes this psalm. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of David basically coming before God and saying, I am a sinner. And repentance, maybe if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're not sure what the word repentance means, it's a, it's a word that basically means to turn away from sin and turn towards God. It means a change of mind which leads to a change of heart, leads to a change of attitude, which leads to a change of action. And this is a psalm of repentance. And I want to pick it up in uh, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So David in these first two verses refers to sin in three different ways. And it's really good for us to know because... I don't know about you, but I, I know what sin is, but it's a very christian easy word, and sometimes it gets a little vague, doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, stuff like that. But David refers to his sin in three different ways. Firstly, he says transgression. 
blot out my transgressions. And a transgression is to cross a line. David crossed the line. He, he saw Bathsheba, his, his look and his, his viewing of her lingered, crossed the line. He sent his servants to find out who she was, crossed the line, ended up sleeping with her, crossed the line, killed her husband, crossed the big line. A lot of lines crossed. We've all had moments when we've crossed the line. Maybe not as big as David's, but we, we know what that's like. We, there's a line there and we cross it. Secondly, he speaks of his sin as iniquity. And this word iniquity means perversion in, in Hebrew. It basically refers to your sinful, our sinful nature. Um, David refers to this in verses 5 and 6. He says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom even in that secret place. The Bible calls this our sinful nature. Paul calls it the flesh. David is saying, even from a young age, I was inclined to disobey you. Our hearts were, inc- were inclined to dis- disobey. It means that when we disobey God and went our own way, our hearts were ta- uh, has been tainted. It just takes me a few minutes to, to iron out the, um, the nerves, so <laughs> don't mind me. <laughs> um, shake it off, Benny. Ephesians 2, it says, before before Christ's work in our lives, we were dead in our sin, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. In Romans, Paul talks about doing what he doesn't want to do and not doing what he wants to do and how he's wrestling with his sinful nature. See, the Bible's diagnosis of, of our hearts is that we sin because we are first sinners. There is something within us that has gone wrong. It's not a popular message in culture. Deep down, the, 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 I guess the message in, in culture could be deep down we're all really good people. Um, you know, just, just go with it. Just dig deep. There's, there's good within you. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that it's not deep down we were good. It's once upon a time we were good. But when we sinned against God, our hearts were corrupted. No matter how civilised society will be, there will always be a tendency for evil. That's what he meant by iniquity. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. This word sin means miss the mark. So if you're like shooting, a, shooting an arrow at a target, if that, that arrow misses the target, it's sin. If it falls short, it doesn't quite get to the target, it's sin. So David crossed the line, he missed the mark. And he fell into his sinful nature, his inclination towards lust and murder. He says, for I know, in verse 3, he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He owns his sin. It's a key part of repentance. He's actually confessing his sin, knowing his sin. We go on verse 4. I'm just going to move along because I know the carols are right there. <laughs> against, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now this is interesting. He says against you and you only. It's, what does he mean by that? Because the way I see it, he sinned against um, Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. Obviously got him killed. He sinned against the families. He sinned against Israel. What does he mean by this? He means that whenever we sin against someone or, or God's creation, we're sinning against the creator himself. It's like if, if someone 
I know Save Laura painted an amazing painting, spent all day, maybe all week, maybe a month, painting this beautiful painting. And then someone come and just come and just destroyed that painting. It'll be an act of vandalism, not so much towards the painting, but more so towards Laura, who, who, who painted the painting. Now, I know we're not inanimate objects, but it's a similar principle. When we sin against creation, when we sin against each other, we're ultimately sinning against the one who created. The world is God's. It's all his. It's deep, sin is deeply personal to God. I really felt in my heart that there's something for us to grasp this afternoon when I was preparing for this message. Sin is deeply personal to God. The humans are made in his image. It's, we're, we're talking to the kids about this at Salty Kids on Friday night. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just like the, the, whole th- the whole thing of being made in God's image is a little bit vague at times, but for us to understand there's something special about human beings that God has instilled his nature that we reflect him, the way we relate, the way we love, the way we create, the way we build, the way we think. God has made us as a, as a reflection of his very nature and it gives human beings such intrinsic value and worth. When we sin against another human being, ultimately we're sinning against the one who we're reflecting. Lastly, it's, it's you only have I sinned because the very fact that sin is because God decides who's right and wrong. God decides what's right and wrong. Just like government decides our laws in this country, God has decided. He is the lawgiver. There is a moral law. There is a moral law and there's a power behind that moral law. There's a person behind that moral law. Morality is not black and white. Understand there's ethical issues that get tricky. But the Bible speaks specifically about godly behaviour and ungodly behaviour and it does it because God is the one who's decided what is right and what is wrong. In culture, we we can get into this idea and and culture screams at us, follow your truth, your truth is your truth. You be you, follow your heart. It's not biblical to follow your heart, guys. It's not. It's it's biblical to, to follow, to walk by the Spirit. Because your heart can lead you into good things, sure, it can. Sometimes you have convictions in your heart and you go, I'm going to follow that, for sure. But your heart can always deceive you as well. It can deceive you. It can make you believe that you want something. David was deceived. He followed his heart. And the Lord came to him through the prophet and said, the Lord, the, the Lord says, why have you despised my commands? We walk by the Spirit. I'm just thankful in my life. I look back and go, man, I'm so thankful I didn't always follow my heart. Sometimes I'm happy. I'm glad. <laughs> There's some things. Marrying my wife, I followed my heart. That was great. I think the Holy Spirit had a lot to do with that. But there was other times when I know my heart was deceiving me. The standard is God's. It's his morality. When we cross a line, we cross God's line. When we miss a mark, we miss God's mark. When we fall into our sinful nature and we allow that to take over, it's it's not how God intended us to be. That's why David says in the second part of verse 4, he says, Therefore you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. I love one of, the, one of the translations is, your judgment is blameless. How can we trust, why, how do we know that God's judgment is blameless? We know it because he is holy and righteous. Not just because he decides what is right and wrong, 
but he knows what is right and wrong because he is pure, he's holy, he's righteous. In Psalm 119, it says, Righteous are you, Lord, and upright are your judgments. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. See, God is perfectly right in all his ways and thoughts. He keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises. I love that verse. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. I wonder, do we think about God in that he is kind in all his deeds? Just Sometimes the words roll off us. Every single thing God does comes from a place of kindness. He is kind in all his deeds. In Jeremiah 9, 23, 24, I'm just skipping through these verses because I just want to keep it moving. It says, this is what the Lord says. So God is speaking and he says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, nor the strong boast of their strength, nor the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this. Listen, this is what God says we should boast about that they have the understanding to know me. That I am the Lord, like Ivan said last week, Elohim, the Lord Almighty. I am the Lord, the one who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. We've got this God who not only is the, is the moral law giver, but he delights in showing kindness and righteousness and justice. He's the only one who can give this justice. He's holy. The word holy literally means separate or set apart. And in this instance, when we're talking about God's holiness, we're talking about his absolute purity. And I want to just go on about this a little bit longer because it's so important for us to get. He is unstained by any sin, by any evil. There is no darkness in him. He is absolutely pure in every single thought he has. Any possible idea of goodness that we could have as human beings is just a glimpse of who God is. The the idea of goodness itself comes from the character of God. It's not a thing. It's God. God is holy. He is pure. He is good. He is loving. He is kindness. And that's what David is saying. Whatever you say is right, God, is right. Whatever you say is wrong, is wrong. Whatever judgment you will make. You know, I, think, I was thinking about this during the week and I thought, it changes everything. It changes the way even that, that question that always pops up. What about hell? You know, how can good people be sent to hell? And all that sort of stuff. I won't get into that. Open that can of worms. But it changes that because if every, if every single motive of God is pure and good, if he is so holy and loving and kind in every deed, then we can then trust him and go, you are the only one who can judge appropriately. You're the only one who we can trust for justice. We can't trust anybody else because there is no one else. That's why Christ, that's why we celebrate Jesus because he's the only one who lived on this earth with 100% purity, kindness, honesty, goodness, compassion, love, mercy, all those concepts we just have a word for i think there's a vocabulary in heaven we'll learn will that, that's just thousands of words that can describe god there's angels that just sing that god is holy 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 constantly this is why sin is so serious to god when our understanding of god's character gets minimized so does our understanding of our own sin 
When our understanding of God's holiness and righteousness gets minimized, so our understanding of our own sin. There's a story of two men that Jesus tells in the Gospels. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Two, Two sort of titles that we don't really associate much with in our day to day, but Pharisee, obviously religious leader, tax collector, was a despised person in society. He worked for the oppressors, the Romans. He was paid to basically rip people off. Uh, They used to use thugs to beat people up, to blackmail, otherwise they'd report them to the Romans, they'd get killed. They were despised, they were hated, they were scoundrels. And both of these men went up to the temple to pray, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself at the front and said, Thank you, God, that I am not like other men, sinners, adulterers, robbers, thieves, especially not like this tax collector at the back. Thank you, God, that I pray weekly and I give 10% of my earnings and I do all this good stuff. And the tax collector stood at a distance at the back and he just stood there and he didn't even lift his eyes off the ground. And he just beat his breast. If I beat my breast, I might stuff the microphone. But he just beat his breast. I don't know, I've never prayed and beat my breast before. But he was in sorrow. And all he could say was, have mercy on me, O God, for I am a sinner. Have mercy on me, O God, for I am a sinner. Jesus said this tax collector went home, friends with God, forgiven, mercy received. He didn't even say a sinner's prayer. He didn't even ask for forgiveness. He just, two things. He said, have mercy on me, O God, for I am a sinner. Jesus told this parable to people who were confident in their own righteousness and they're looking down on people. Because what we tend to do sometimes, if we lose sight of this, we can tend to look across at people. Instead of looking up at God and understanding his holiness and righteousness, we can look across at people and go, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. There's always someone we can compare ourselves to. As soon as Christians, as soon as us Christians gain too much confidence in our own righteousness, we're in danger because we lose sight of our own sinfulness and we lose sight of our need for God's mercy. Maybe that's what David did. Maybe David, at the time, I know back in those days, there were lots of kings and sheiks who would just take who they wanted. They didn't have to ask permission. They could just take someone's wife, take someone's husband. They could do what they wanted to do. But David based his plea on God's mercy. And he doesn't ask for God's mercy based on God's justice, but he asks based on God's unfailing love and great compassion. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. See, God is compassionate and gracious. He loves to show mercy. God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Moving on, verse 7. David says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. So David asked God to do three things with his sin. It's really interesting. He says, blot out, wash away, and cleanse. It's the same in verse 1 and verse 2. Blot out my transgressions, wash away 
my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He says it here too. Cleanse me with your soap. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And blot out all my iniquity. So these three things, I'll just break them down quickly. It's really interesting. Blot out. Back in those days, they used to have papyrus, which was really expensive. So rather than buy new papyrus, they'd write on it. When they were finished with the writing and the story was done, they would scrape away the ink. Scrape the ink off and they'd turn the papyrus sideways and they'd use the paper again. And this was called blot out. David's saying, remove the indictment. Remove the ink. Rewrite. Rewrite your ways on my heart. Wash away. The second, second term he uses is wash away. Wash away my sin. Wash away my iniquity. The word... The original word for this would have been the same word you'd use for your laundry. Same when you're washing some clothes, this idea of wash away. Centuries earlier, the prophet Isaiah wrote, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See, Isaiah here is referring to sin as a bloodstain that only God can wash away. That's my alarm to wind up the, uh, the sermon. <laughs> okay. It's good. Thank you for that. Clean- the, third, the third phrase he uses is cleanse me. Now this word cleanse was used in, in terms of, say, leprosy or other diseases or sicknesses that would make you unclean ceremonially. And he's saying cleanse me. Cleanse me from this sin. Cleanse me from this disease that spreads in my heart. Cleanse, wash, remove the indictment, rewrite my heart. God wants to do that with you. All we need to do is come before him and confess our sin and just ask for his mercy. Not look across, but look up. Ask for his mercy. Like the reigning house I spoke about at the start, sin can just rot. If we don't deal with it, if we don't recognize it within us, it can just rot us away, it can destroy, it brings death and destruction and it's serious to God. It may not be the adultery and murder of David, but it's within us. We wrestle with it every day. And God offers us mercy. He loves to give mercy. It's interesting. He says in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Hyssop was a plant that they used. They used to pull from the rock walls. It grew in between the stones. And they used it to sprinkle blood. In fact, in Exodus, most of you know the story of the Passover. They, they would... They were, the Israelites were commanded to use hyssop plant to dip in the, the, the blood shed from a lamb and put it around their doorpost. It was the, the plant hyssop. And what David is referring to specifically is the blood. David is saying, forgive me and regard me as cleansed based on the shed blood of a sacrifice. See, in the old system, they used to sacrifice bulls and goats. And it was a reminder to Israel to teach them that sin is serious to God, that it stains the heart, that it brings destruction, that it brings death. But in Hebrews it says it's not possible for the blood of bulls to take away sins. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then in verse 12 it says, Jesus, our high priest, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time. So now instead of going to a priest to be sprinkled with the blood of an animal, we put our faith in Jesus. And Christ shed his blood on the cross so that we could be clean, 
It was an outworking of God's mercy and his kindness, kind in all his deeds, perfect in all his ways. It's Jesus' blood that has made final payment. I love this verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. It's only His blood. Years ago, I, I used to, as a part of a mission group, we used to go into a deten- juvenile detention centre in Western Sydney called Cobham. We went in there for a few months. We went in there every week for a few hours. And we'd hang out with the worst of the worst under-18 boys in there for murder, rape, gang stuff, violence, you name it. It was a pretty scary place. I had one, one situation where they wanted to put my guitar through my head. Um, I was thankful I got out of there that day. It was pretty full on. Um, most times when I'd go in there, I was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty scared, little skinny white guy from suburbia going in there with these tough guys. But it was great. God used it. We got to sh- talk with them and chat with them about um, just about the gospel. and It was awesome. And at the end of our time there, on the last visit, the leaders wanted to organise like an evangelistic event, an outdoor event. And somehow, I don't know if I put my hand up or if someone put my hand up, but somehow I got volunteered to share my testimony in this outdoor event. And I remember just being outside in a place similar to out there and there was just all these, all the criminals all lined up, like lots of them, just in a big semicircle. And I'm there just holding my microphone. Um, I'd spent, you know, I'd spent a week preparing my testimony and praying and just getting like psyched up for it and holding my little microphone and looking at everyone and started sharing my testimony. And I remember I got maybe five minutes in and something really crazy happened. I started, <laughs> I started feeling raindrops on my face. You ever have those moments where you just think to God like, really? Really, God? <laughs> I've spent all this time prepping. I've spent all this like prayer. I'm like, here, I'm, I'm sharing my testimony to all these guys in this outdoor event and it starts raining. And the rain starts getting heavier. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what's going on? How could this be? And they started turning around and walking away. And just as they all started walk, turning around and walking away, my friend Johannes, an Indonesian guy who was on fire for the Lord, he, he was the sort of guy you'd be hearing praying early in the morning, like 4.30 in the morning or something crazy, just, just on fire. He just grabs the mic from me, just steps in front of me. And I'll never forget, he just starts just pleading with these guys that God, God shed his blood for them, that God paid a ransom for them, that their sin can be washed clean, that they can be made new. And he just, he, I just remember him just pleading with him and he just kept saying this one thing, saying the blood, of, the blood of Christ is not cheap. The blood of Christ is not cheap. And just started raining more and more. And they all just turned around and they were just listening like this. And he just kept saying the blood of Christ is not cheap. And he said, to, he said if there's anyone here that just wants to receive mercy and be cleansed, lift your hand up. 
And this one big Samoan guy, I'll never forget, just lifted up his hand. And I just had that moment of just absolute gobsmacked at how serious this gospel is. That they can take someone and God's kindness can be given to this person and wash away every bad thing this guy's done. And Jesus says that when that happens, the celebration in heaven in the presence of angels and God. When one sinner repents, all you have to do is receive his mercy. And as we celebrate his birth this Christmas, it's probably not a great Christmas message, but it is because when we celebrate his birth, we also have to remember why he was born, and it was to shed his blood. No one beats God, so Jesus rose, and he's alive. Praise God. But it's his blood that was shed that gives all of us mercy.